Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week we go beyond hashtags and hot takes to discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, Associate Digital Media Producer here at Christianity Today, and I'm here with Mark Gallier, Editor-in-Chief. Hey. Hey, Mark. Happy almost spring. Nope, definitely not. It was snowing today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> spring somewhere in the world. It's spring in Florida and New Orleans where I was over the weekend. So Okay, Mark. See? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, I don't know why you come back here and then you're like, oh. It's a winter. Exactly. Okay, so who's joining us today? Joining us today is Fengang Yang, and he's a professor of sociology and the director of the Center on Religion and Chinese Society at Purdue University. He's among the world's leading scholars of religion in China and of immigrant religion in the United States. He's authored or co-authored numerous books, including most recently, Religion in China, Survival and Revival Under Communist Rule. So we're just really grateful to have Professor Yang with us. It's going to be a very insightful conversation. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hello, uh, Morgan and Mark. So may I ask, are you originally from China? Yes, I am. Where did you grow up? What province? I grew up uh, in Hebei province. That's around Beijing. Is Hebei the most populous province? No, it is not. Uh, there are larger provinces uh, like Henan province or Sichuan province. Okay, cool. I, I've spent some time in China. I, I studied abroad there for four months, so oh. I did get to go to Beijing. Um, but we spent most of our time in the southwest province of Fujian province at Xiamen. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I spent, I had a very memorable uh, trip there a few years ago, guided tour. The thing, one of the things that just impressed me was the fact that a relatively small city in China is three or four million people. (laughs) 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 Just the numbers of people there was just stunning to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, over 1 billion people. Yeah, I was going to say, what type of adjustment was it when you moved to Indiana? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, uh, living in Indiana makes me feel uh, at home. Because I'm I'm from an area in China that's the uh, plains, in Hebei province, Huabei plains. It's uh, pretty similar to where I live now in Lafayette, Indiana. Okay. I did not know that, and I love that you brought that up. Awesome. Well, let's get into the discussion today. Last week, China announced that it would drop presidency term limits, effectively allowing current President Xi Jinping to serve indefinitely. Xi is currently concluding a five-year term this year. His two predecessors had each served two consecutive five-year terms before being replaced. The news comes six months after Xi said that religions that inadequately conform to communist ideals threaten the country's government and therefore must become more, quote, Chinese-oriented. A month after Xi's comments at a Communist Party conference, the South China Morning Post reported that the Communist Party had visited Christian households in Xiangxi province, forcibly removing dozens of Christian symbols from living rooms and replacing them with pictures of Xi. In February, the government hit religious groups with another set of restrictions. Under these regulations, religious groups must gain the approval of the state administration for religious affairs for any sort of religious activity, including using one's personal 
personal hum for a religious practice, publishing religious materials, calling oneself a pastor, or studying theology. Additionally, no foreign or domestic donations can be made to any religious group that has not been approved by this government body. This week on Quick to Listen, we'll get into what all of this means for a country home to millions of Christians. Before we get into our discussion today, just a reminder to everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine. And our March issue right now, we have a science piece called Nothing But the Blood. But it's a science piece. So it's a theology piece or a science piece, Mark? Uh, both and in Christianity Today, of course. You know, I think it's a great piece that talks about a lot of the science related around blood, but then relates it to uh, the theme of blood as we see in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, as much as we are sometimes uncomfortable with blood in our contemporary American culture, it's, it's really woven into the fabric of Old Testament and New Testament theology. We do talk about it in ways that, if you take it literally, it's quite amazing. When we talk about uh, at, the, at the Lord's Supper, drinking the blood of Christ, we talk about being washed in the blood. So it's all, often helpful to have an article to talk about actually what, other than the shocking metaphors that those are, kind of some of the overtones for them biologically and physically and how they relate to the work of Christ on the cross. So I think it's a great piece. Cool thing about the piece is that its author, Douglas Estes, actually came on the show last year to chat with Mark and myself about transhumanism. So if you really enjoyed that episode, which I thought was a great episode, I think you also enjoy this article. And you can get that article by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen, and that will get you a subscription to our publication. All right, Mark, let's get into our gut check. I would love to hear your reaction to all of this news coming out of China right now. Well, the news I was most uh, surprised at was the uh, notion that they're going to try to drop presidential term limits. And that if this comes at a moment when I'm reading uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn's Gulag Archipelago, <laughs> which is about the uh, lack of presidency term limits for Joseph Stalin, among others. Uh, you start thinking about Hitler's ascendancy and his... Uh, you know, becoming chancellor for life, and the destructive thing that is for or can be for a country. So it just, Mark, it just frankly, the United States me. didn't have term limits on presidencies until the 1950s. Yeah, but so. they had to be reelected every four years. Uh huh. This is still. <laughs> he still has to. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know. I know. There's different interpretations depending on how you're going to look at politics. I'm just saying, FDR, four terms. Four terms. Okay. Well, we'll and get many it. people thought that thought that was such a problem. They uh, said we on, we should only have two terms. All right. Before Mark and I get carried away in politics here, uh, my gut check would just be one thing that I've learned, I guess, reporting on some of these things in the past couple years is just what these restrictions kind of actually mean, you know, because in many ways, these groups are still allowed to do things. It's just that they have to register for the government. But of course, what is registered with the government, the government often has much more of a say-so and can control and can shut down and can arrest people if they're doing something that, you know, hadn't been registered. And so it's really a way for a government just to decide to be like super nitpicky about how people practice their religion and to kind of criminalize it if it's not done in a way that they can control. So I'm really interested about how this will play out, especially because, as we've noted at the beginning of this conversation, you know, China has one billion more people than the United States does. And so how does one actually go about enforcing this? All right. Well, Fung Gong, we are very excited to ask you all these questions. So can we actually start with an overview of the state of religion in China right now? Well, uh, the state of religion in China now, I think uh, uh, one sentence to say is that many religions have been reviving. 
including traditional Chinese religions and also Christianity. Many of those religions have been growing, growing uh, rapidly. Even though there have been uh, regulations trying to uh, keep this under control, but still, I think the revivals are uh, beyond control. What would be relative numbers of uh, believers in various religions? I understand it's a, you have to ballpark it. That's right, uh, because uh, there's a lack of service and it's not allowed to ask uh, the religion question in census. It is very hard to know exactly how many believers in each of the major religions. But uh, based on some survey, we could say uh, many people self-identify as Buddhist. This could be you know, 18% of the population or about uh, 200 million people self-identify with Buddhism. Uh, even though uh, most of them have not really made a commitment to the religion. It's more cultural, by cultural tradition. Uh, for Christians, uh, for Protestants, I would say uh, by now it's perhaps uh, close to 100 million. Uh, in 2010, the Pew Research Center has a report of uh, global Christianity. They put an uh, estimate of uh, Protestants as 58 million and uh, also 9 million Catholics. But given the rapid growth in the last uh, three or four decades of Protestants in China, I think it's very likely by now there are 100 million uh, Protestants. That is, really, that is really interesting since it's about half the number of cultural Buddhists, which is quite amazing in a Asian country, it seems to me. Right. And also, many of the Protestants or Christians, uh, they are converts. Uh, they have been baptized. So if you compare the committed believers, uh, I think there are perhaps uh, no fewer Protestants than Buddhists. Aren't there a number of smaller sects as well? The Protestant scene in China is very different from the U.S. Since 1957, no denomination or sect is officially allowed by the government. Uh, in other words, in China, it's okay to be a Christian, but it's not okay to be a Baptist or Methodist or Episcopalian. Uh, the government simply does not allow for that. But in reality, there are, of course, uh, different churches, different denominations or sects. Some of this uh, came from before uh, 1949, when the communists took power. And there are also some emerging new denominations, I would say. They are forming new denominations. They have their denominational label, and they have the statement of faith distinct from other church groups or traditions. And then what's the relationship between the three-self church and these more independent churches? At this point, I understand there's been some suspicious between them in the past, but I've also heard some reports that there's also some warming up between them as well. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, it has changed a lot since the 1950s. But right now, I think there are still perhaps more people in the so-called house churches. And these are the uh, Protestant groups uh, who refuse to join the three self Patriotic Movement Committee, that's the officially sanctioned uh, religious group, uh, Christian group. Of course, many people, uh, many ordinary believers may visit uh, a church in the Three South Church or in the House Church. They may um, uh, even switch between them. But I think uh, many uh, leaders or pastors uh, in the House Churches simply think they cannot 
join the Three Self Patriotic Movement Committee. Because to do so in their mind would be to be would be a denial of faith in some way, huh? Right. They th- just think it would be uh, co- compromising their faith. Uh, they see the Three Self Patriotic Movement Committee as a political organization to serve the party and the state. Even though the Three Self notion is that it's a mediator between the church and the government, but uh, many house church leaders don't don't agree. They think it's uh, more serving the party and the state than serving the church. That's the reason, uh, a major reason that they refuse to join. Many of the house churches have no problem uh, with uh, registering with the government directly, but they just simply don't want to be under the control of the Three Self Patriotic Movement Committee. Yeah, actually, let's get into that. We've talked about the fact that there are these restrictions that just went into place. I know they were announced back in 2016. But prior to all of this, how would you have described the relationship between China's Christians and the central government? Of course, with uh, such a large size of the Christian population, the relationship varies a lot in different regions and also among different groups. Overall, I think in the last, well, at least since 2000, the house churches, uh, you know, those either small groups uh, meeting at people's apartments or houses or large congregations, these are independent congregations in urban areas. They are independent from the Three Self Patriotic Movement Committee. And some of those churches try to stay away from the government to remain, to be really autonomous, independent, uh, to do their own church ministries and also do overseas missions. But some of the house churches um, decided to try to register with the government. Uh, They say, we are good citizens and we don't want to hide anything from the government. And uh, we want to be, uh, you know, become legally registered so that our rights of property and uh, activities can be protected like other social groups, social organizations. But uh, uh, even though the previous uh, version of the regulations of religious affairs seems to allow for uh, independent churches uh, churches register with the government. When one church in Beijing tried to do that, that application was denied, and the church was asked to go through the Three Self organization to get the pastors certified. That's exactly where the house church would not do. They do not think they can be certified, or the Three Self organization has the spiritual authority to certify uh, who can be pastor, who cannot be pastor. So the relationship for that particular church turned uh, really bad. And actually, since 2011, now it's almost uh, seven years, the pastor of uh, Shou Wang Church in Beijing has been under house arrest. And uh, uh, that uh, Shouwang Church has not been able to function as a congregation. But there are many other house churches, including many large congregations in Beijing, who have been uh, operating uh, quite normally. Uh, there have been very few interference 
from the police or other government agencies. And there are also, like uh, in Chengdu, in southwestern China, there, ha- there is the early reign reformed church. It is a very well-known house church. They have several congregations uh, in the city of Chengdu, and uh, those churches have been operating um, relatively well with with very few interference. One thing I just wanted to maybe clarify for our listeners, when we're talking about a house church at this point, is this a church that has to meet at someone's home, or does that just mean any church that is not registered with the government? Yes, yeah, so this term uh, is confusing to many people. The house church used to be uh, only small gatherings at people's uh, homes, but this is no longer the case since 2000, at least. Many of the house church uh, small groups merged and to form large congregations with several hundred people, and they would rent a big hall in a big uh, office building, or they may purchase a, uh, a floor in an office building or in a commercial building to be their church. So there has been this uh, increase of large congregations who self-identify as house churches so that they know they are different from the churches that belong to the Three Self Patriotic Movement Committee. This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is both faithful to the original languages and really easy to read. You can learn more about the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com ct. This is Quick to Listen host Morgan Lee, joined by Trevin Wax, Bible and reference publisher for Lifeway Christian Resources and Holman Bibles. Hey, Trevin. Glad to be with you guys. Trevin, what's one verse in the Christian Standard Bible you think is especially nuanced and crafted well in this translation? John 3.16, actually. I mean, we all know for God so loved the world, you know, that he gave his only begotten son. Because of the way that that King James phrase carries over into most English translations, people tend to think that the focus there is on how much God loved the world that he decided to do this. Whereas the original language, the expression there says, For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The CSB went away from the predominant English tradition because of accuracy. So many people hear that verse and interpret it the wrong way because of the way that it comes about in English. And so I appreciate the CSB having the courage to do what virtually all scholars and commentators recognize is the meaning of John 3.16. This episode of Quick to Listen was brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible. Go to csbible.com slash ct to find the right Christian Standard Bible edition for you. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. 
Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So one thing that I really want to try to avoid doing to the extent that we can on this podcast is painting too much of China with one broad brush, considering how big it is. Given that when we're talking about the government kind of cracking down potentially against religion, is this an attitude that you're going to find is true all over the country? Or is this especially intense in particular regions of China? Yeah, uh, China is big. And there's a, a very diverse regional cultures and uh, societies. So any any generalization uh, risk to be uh, too broad generalization. There, of course, is variation. In some areas, in uh, some periods, there's a severe cracking down on churches. But in other areas, uh, in other times, uh, the churches are operating just fine. So it uh, varies a lot. Very dramatically, actually. So we've read, we've been reporting in Christianity Today, uh, a number of churches had their crosses taken down. Another church actually was demolished. Are those happening in a particular region? There was a campaign to remove all crosses on top of the churches. This happened uh, in Zhejiang province uh, in southeastern China, south of uh, Shanghai. So that happened in one province uh, between uh, the years of 2013 and the 2016, the government really tried very hard to remove all crosses on top of churches. But that campaign failed because by the end, when when the campaign finished in early uh, 2016, perhaps only a quarter of the churches uh, had their crosses taken down, or no more than one third at most. So most churches uh, have kept their Crosses. Recently, uh, in Henan province, another province, there uh, have been some reports of uh, their uh, crosses on top of the church uh, being removed. But this has not been, um, I would say, up to this point, it, it is not yet a campaign. It is not happening to many churches. Uh, it only has happened to a few. Uh, in, in Henan and also in Jiangxi province, that's really in, in it's an inland province in central China. Is your impression that these initiatives are not necessarily coming from the central government, but they're coming from provincial governments? You know, the decision making uh, is uh, not transparent, so it is very hard <laughs> to tell. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, the, I think uh, what happened uh, in Zhejiang province, uh, perhaps, even if the order came from the central government, it was an experiment by one province to see whether they could achieve their goal. But the experiment failed, and the, the provincial party secretary. He was not promoted to higher position, but actually um, uh, lost the powerful position and now is uh, really kind of semi-retired. So for other uh, provincial leaders, uh, party secretaries, when they see what ha- what have happened in Zhejiang and to the officials, I don't think many of them would try to follow him to remove the crosses on church uh, rooftops. Yeah, that's a very interesting perspective I hadn't considered in that sometimes we imagine when a central government, let's say we were even to find the memo that said the central government told this provincial leader to take down the crosses. We imagine it's it, it, it's a single 
simple motive when it might be an experiment by the central government to see if they can carry out a policy, and it has ramifications politically all down, up and down the line that might make might make it impossible to continue that policy. So it's it's a very very complex situation. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, because the number of Christians is uh, really has uh, getting quite large. Uh, you can not simply do whatever you want if you really uh, your interest is to maintain social stability and economic development and other social policies. Only when you ignore all the other uh, aspects of society, just want to take on uh, uh, Christians, then you can do much damage. But I think now the Chinese authorities do care about overall social stability and economic development. So the religion is only one of the social policies that they have to, uh, to take care of, and that has to be in balance with other aspects of social life. So you mentioned that this Zhejiang policy ended in 2016, which is also the year that these restrictions that just went into place were announced. I'm curious, were you surprised when you first heard about these restrictions? Um, uh, I was not surprised because I knew that uh, there were conversations about revising the regulations of religious affairs because the previous version that took effect in 2005 had become outdated because there had been so many uh, changes since 2005. So there were discussions about revising the rules, the regulations. But I was surprised that this version uh, became the final version. I said at that time that this version is the worst possible version <laughs> uh, because it could go, you know, uh, really putting out some more pragmatic regulations, treat this as a, you know, as a social management issue. But this one is not. I think it's more ideologically driven and it's not uh, practical. It's not realistic. Yes, they put put out so many uh, restrictions, but I think it's going to be very difficult or impossible to implement or to enforce the restrictions. We try to understand everybody's point of view when we're doing these podcasts. So help us think about this from the government's point of view. Why are they so concerned about the rise of religion, especially Christianity in China? What's, what is the issue that troubles them, that makes them want, want to, at times, try to repress it? Well, actually, I would uh, even take an even more uh, uh, further step back. You know, who are in the government or in the party and the state um, uh, who are interested in suppressing Christians? I don't think uh, it's all one voice or one force within the authorities. There are some people who really worry about the uh, growth of uh, Christians, the number of Christians, but there are others in power who may not see this as a serious problem, as a challenge to the authorities. And then a lot more of people may simply stay neutral, saying this is not a major concern of us. We should have more resources for other social problems. So it's only uh, some people within the authorities who see the Christian growth as a threat. And uh, these people tend to be uh, what I call communist ideologues. These are uh, militant atheists who still think about religious issues using the terms of Marx and Lenin and Mao. 
seeing Christianity as an oppositional force to the ideology of the Communist Party. But this militant atheist became uh, quite powerful uh, in the last 10 years or so. So they, uh, in, the, the, in the policy debate, uh, they have had much influence. There has been a softer line within uh, the authorities. So there are people saying, well, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Christian growth or the, re- the revivals of all kinds of religions are worrisome. So let's uh, try to manage it, make it uh, not a, you know, causing uh, more serious uh, problems uh, for the Communist Party or for society. So they, these are people, they themselves may be atheists, but they are not militant atheists. They simply say, let's manage this. So I think there are really different factions within the authorities. I'm so glad that you're talking through this and mentioning some of China's recent 20th century. To what extent can we go back further than that? You know, obviously China fought these really intense wars with the Brits back in the 19th century. And a lot of that was over who's going to get to kind of control Chinese society. Can the Chinese government can continue to kind of put a lid on Chinese culture? Or are we going to have this country that's open to Western influence? Do you see any of that at play, too, where there's just this sense of, you know, let's keep China Chinese, so to speak? Yes, uh, certainly. Uh, you know, the Chinese are very history-minded, and what happened in the mid-19th century, the, the Opium Wars fought in uh, 1840, uh, 1850s, uh, really, um, of course, uh, left big scars in uh, many people's minds. So when China's economy uh, grows uh, so Rapidly in the last uh, several decades, many of uh, the Chinese feel uh, national pride. And so there is a rise of uh, cultural nationalism. They think uh, traditional Chinese cultures uh, should be the Chinese national culture. And uh, Christianity or Islam are foreign religions. So uh, the foreign religions need to accommodate to the Chinese culture. But I would say this uh, cultural nationalism is not uh, that persuasive to many people. Uh, It's only a small uh, number of people in elite positions advocating for this cultural nationalism. Because uh, the others uh, say that China need to open up, need to be part of the world, uh, need to be a player of uh, world affairs, you know, as a modernized uh, nation. To be a modernized nation, you should have the kind of political institutions, religious institutions, social institutions, not that different from other uh, modernized societies. So these people have been saying, you know, we need to keep ourselves open and modern. I think many of those who are open to modernity, modernization, are also sympathetic uh, or more interested in Christianity because they perceive Christianity as a modern religion, as a religion uh, that uh, is universal rather than of any national religion. So, yeah, there are different attitudes among the educated Chinese. And I, I was led to believe, I was in, as I said, China for two weeks, so I'm an expert now. Uh, <laughs> but we did have conversations with the leaders of the self, uh, three self-movement, as well as house churches. 
and I can't remember who led me to believe that even in the Communist Party, in the le- in various levels of government, there are people that are actually self-identify as Christians. Is that true in your experience? Certainly, there are Christians among some officials. For some years, there was a open discussion about allowing com- Communist Party members to be uh, religious or to allow religious believers to become party members. There was some discussion, open discussion of this, uh, say, more than 10 years ago. But now, uh, in recent years, the militant atheists who claim to be orthodox Marxist, they said, uh, to be a party member, you have to declare yourself as atheist. Uh, Yeah, they want every Communist Party member to take a vow of being atheist. So this has put much pressure on those people who have become Christian. So let's go back to this move with term limits. Do you see any type of impact that this is going to have on the Christian population now that Xi Jinping can serve, presumably, for the rest of his life? Uh, At this point, it is uh, not uh, clear to me. Uh, I think it all depends on how things evolve. Uh, Certainly, the personality cult uh, of Xi Jinping may demand uh, open declaration of loyalty to him. And that uh, may uh, at least uh, will be applied to all Communist Party members, uh, maybe even uh, the larger society. Actually, I uh, uh, received some statements by a Christian pastor who really reacted to this drop of uh, term limits. Uh, This is uh, by uh, Pastor Wang Yi. He's the uh, pastor of Early Rain Church, Reformed Church in Chengdu. This is uh, one of the largest house churches. Uh, Wang Yi uh, is uh, very active in his ministry and also uh, public speaking. So on March 3rd, a few days ago, he posted this message to his social media. And he said, uh, this is my translation. He said, put a living person's name in the Constitution is not revising the Constitution, but destroying the Constitution. For this reason, eliminating the term limit of the state head makes him no longer the head of the state, but a tyrant. Making politics a religion is an evil act of violating the Ten Commandments. It will make the country once again fall into the idolatry of worshiping a person as a god. It will make the nation once again fall in sins, provoking Jehovah's wrath and trial. I plead to the Lord to give a sign so that among the 3,000 delegates of the People's Congress, there will be at least one person who will take the remaining conscience and the courage to cast a vote of opposition. I plead to the Lord for the reason of the church, tolerate this evil for the time being, so that before the terrible trial arrives, the gate of grace and repentance remains open for those countless, coward, desperate, and raging people. That's his statement. Wow, what a prophetic word. What a courageous man. Yes. Yes, that was very strident. I feel like we've heard similar in our country based on how elections go, too. Yeah, but it's not as nearly as serious here as it is there. Wow. Do, do you? Would you imagine that his viewpoints are shared by others? You, you made it sound like he's a relatively influential person 
in Chengdu. That's right. I think most church leaders in China uh, do not say anything publicly uh, about this because it's like a hurricane coming. What can you do? <laughs> you need to protect yourself, uh, hide somewhere uh, to be safe. But I think uh, what he expressed really echoed in many people's minds, especially those uh, Christians. Yeah, I think this is what I was getting at when I said it may, <clears throat> reminded when I heard about the news and I was I thought about the Gulag Archipelago and Hitler's rise to power, understanding that a term limits is not the same thing as a dictatorship, but it and a, and it's it's not a dictatorship or a cult of personality, but it's very often the very first step and a really big step in that direction in history anyway. Yeah, this uh, actually constitution in China uh, as as uh, has a different position. Uh, constitution has not been taken uh, seriously by most Chinese. But uh, this uh, symbolic change still means a lot for many people. It uh, looks like it's possible that Xi Jinping is uh, looking for a rule of 30 years. Chairman Mao ruled for 30 years. Deng Xiaoping uh, influenced China for about 30 years. Now we are looking into this uh, the third 30 years ruled by Xi Jinping. Very briefly, how would you say that Xi Jinping is perceived by the Chinese people? I think most of our listeners probably don't really know that much about him or feel that strong of a connection to him, to even someone that they might feel emotionally towards Vladimir Putin, for instance. So how would you say our listeners should think of him? There are many people in China like him. Uh, I think uh, they sincerely like him, uh, more like uh, the popularity of uh, Chairman Mao to many Chinese uh, at that time. So that's true. Yeah, uh, of course, I think the West, the Western media uh, has not reported well about uh, what, uh, you know, in what aspects that Xi Jinping is popular among the Chinese. I, I wish uh, Western journalism can do better. <laughs> uh, and China is so different. I think overall, uh, China is too different for many people to get an easy understanding. But now it is really urgent uh, for, the, for the West to understand China as accurately as possible um, and really need a lot of more good reporting about all aspects of uh, China. Are there any other stories that are affecting Chinese Christians that our listeners should know about? Well, I think one thing that uh, uh, this particular uh, audience may be interested in knowing is, even though under suppression, Chinese uh, house churches have this movement called Mission China. They are planning to send out 20,000 missionaries by the year 2030. I think this movement is, uh, is still in its early stage, but I think uh, no one can really suppress it. This is a movement, not by any one single church or small group, but many churches have been involved in sending out missionaries beyond China's borders. That's awesome. I would encourage people to read some of the articles that we have published on that topic, and I can link to them in the show notes. Thank you so much, Feng Gong. That was a really great conversation. And as always, if you have feedback about this podcast, please leave us that feedback on Twitter. We're at CT Podcasts. So now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments, which is when Everyone here shares something that has brought them joy in the past week. Mark, you ready to go? I think you hinted at some of those earlier. <laughs> 
Yeah, we recently had a uh, fundraising event in Naples on behalf of Christianity Today, in which I got to meet some people who are already donating to CT as well as uh, well as other prospective donors. Now, my role is not necessarily to make the ask, but to mingle and talk. And I received uh, a couple of just great leads from a couple of the attenders that evolve into stories for CT. I mean, what's great about that is that, you know, we have a staff of six to eight, maybe editors all together, and we can only be in touch with so much what's going on in the world. And when you meet people who are in other spheres of life, they tell you there's this great couple in Georgia who are doing fantastic things in technology for the missionary world. I had to admit, I'd never heard of them, but I got the contact, and so I'm really looking forward to following up on some of these contacts. It's just great. It's so great when you go to these places and people can just tell you all those things you didn't know about. Yeah. I mean, basically what it boiled down to is you hear what God is doing in other parts of the world with other people that you've never heard of. Mm-hmm. It just shows you how big the the world is. All right. Where can people find you? I um, publish something called the Galley Report, or we publish it here at CT. You can find it by going to christianitytoday.com slash the Galley Report. Galley is spelled G-A-L-L-I, in which I link to stories, four or five stories each week, and comment on them. Awesome. Gong? Yeah, uh, well, in the last uh, couple of weeks, uh, we have been celebrating the Chinese New Year. You're the dog. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so the year of the dog. And uh, last Friday is the 15th day of the first month uh, in Chinese calendar. So we had a gathering of people at our house. It's a, j- a joyful time. I, I actually, this was my precious moment a couple weeks ago on the podcast because I'd said that my dad sent me digital leasey. <laughs> so I didn't get any red envelope this year. Did you pass out any red envelopes? Uh, not really, but we did uh, the Chinese riddles uh, for uh, for place names because uh, we recently uh, actually we are publishing a volume called uh, the Atlas of Religions in China. So we have made many colorful maps of religions in China. So uh, during the gathering, we um, put out uh, many riddles uh, for people to guess uh, what are the place names. So it was fun. I really like riddles. That sounds like a good idea. That's awesome. All right. Why don't you tell people where they can find out more about the center that you lead? Yes. uh, uh, People can go to the website, www.purdue.edu slash crcs. Or simply search on the web, uh, on the on Google, uh, Center on Religion and the Chinese Society. We maintain a, a active website. We also put out a monthly e-newsletter, electronic newsletter, that we summarize what's going on in China in terms of religion and what we do at our center and recent scholarly publications about religion in China. It's awesome. I was just looking for the newsletter yesterday and then I got one. So that was cool. Okay, cool. Are you on Twitter at all? Uh, yeah, actually search my name. Uh, the, my uh, my Twitter account should pop out. Feng Gang Yang or Phoenix Yang, Y-A-N-G. Because my name has a character. It means Phoenix. So that's why I use Phoenix Young. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. For all of us who cannot read Chinese characters that well, we appreciate that. All right. My precious moment is that I got to do a lot of walking this weekend. It was super sunny. It wasn't that warm, but I walked around a neighborhood called Hyde Park, and I went to the DeSable Museum of African American History on Saturday, and then I also walked probably like 
two or so miles after that to a place that apparently has some of the best fried shrimp in all of Chicago. And it was really good. It was in this salt and pepper batter. And apparently it's a place that Chance the Rapper has also gotten his food from because I had a picture of him there. (laughs) So that was delightful. And I like being outside and I like exploring things that are around the city. And people can find me on Twitter at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. That is it for us this week. Thank you to everyone who listened to our show again. Thank you to everyone who has reviewed the show on Apple Podcasts and given us five stars. Obviously, we really appreciate those of you who have done that. Thank you so much for all your reviews and comments. You can support the show by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen and getting a subscription. And this podcast is produced by myself, Richard Clark, and Cray Allred. It's available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you want to get your podcasts. We are there. We'll see you all next week.